1: Dylan was, he was a revolutionary, man. The way, that, the way that Elvis freed your body, Bob freed your mind.
2: This is Bob Dylan, about man and God and law. If we knew all the reasons that the music and vision of Bob Dylan are what they are and do what they do, we wouldn't need a podcast. But even as we turn it and turn it, this ever-expanding conversation about Bob Dylan keeps revealing new faces and voices. And new faces and voices are precisely what the next two episodes of Bob Dylan about man and God and law are all about. Specifically, Having tuned in and tuned out of the celebrations of Bob Dylan at 80 and bumbled my way through the Dylan Twitterverse around the same time, I stumbled across Rebecca Slayman, whose presentation at the conference beamed to the world out of Tulsa, turned many a Dylan head and is part of a cluster of third and even fourth generation Dylan fans who have exciting things to say and feel about the music and the man. <laughs> <laughs> It was a real pleasure to speak with Rebecca, and even as I reach out and read old standbys in Town, Stansville is a must stop and stay for a while on any journey down bob Dylan way And that's where we're headed, kids. Stansville. I'm Stephen Daniel Arnoff, host of this podcast and author of About Man and God and Law, The Spiritual Wisdom of Bob Dylan. So pull up a chair and stay a while for the first of two parts of a great conversation. This is episode four of season two of Bob Dylan about man and God and law, Bob Dylan in Stansville with Rebecca Slayman, part one. I am delighted to be here with Rebecca Slayman. Let me tell you a little bit about you, Rebecca, before you tell us about Bob Dylan, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, First of all, welcome. Rebecca is a writer, and you study fandom culture, which, you know, we may need to explain exactly what that is, but it sounds very interesting in our context. You're a graduate of Fordham University, and according to your self-professed bio, you have entered into a form of obsession with Bob Dylan, which I think is publicly known now, because in addition to doing some really interesting writing about this and other topics, you made your, I don't know what the category is, your rock culture fandom critical premiere at the Dylan at 80 conference from the new Bob Dylan center in Tulsa. Glad you're here. I want to start with the first line of a, of a great piece that you wrote, and then you're gonna help us understand what exactly it is that you're talking about here. So 79-year-old musical legends, you know the line, right? Mm-hmm. Do not run their own Twitter accounts, which by the way, Rebecca I was shocked to learn. I thought for <laughs> sure that you know Bruce Springsteen was direct, directly addressing me, but you made that clear. In spite of this, I'm quoting you, when Bob Dylan posts a tweet, people respond by addressing him directly. Mm -hmm. There are boomers thanking him with reverence and horny teenagers asking for nudes. (laughs) Do you stand behind that statement?
0: Absolutely, and I'm so happy that you opened with that. Um, Hopefully this gives sort of a different vibe than the normal academic, very professional discussions you have on this podcast. And I'm happy that you're opening that door so I don't have to come crashing through it. (laughs)
2: so i i don't know exactly where to start with this except it's all a really great place to start the (laughs) first piece i think we should start with um just setting the stage a little bit you talk about stan culture okay Mm -hmm. so what exactly is stan culture which i guess is sort of like the area of content that you're digging into here and then we'll talk about um what you're saying which is so interesting
0: Sure. Um, So a stan is essentially a super fan of something, um, but it grew out of um, internet communities of fandom. So places where people could connect and obsessed, mostly teenagers, young people um, about the person or band that they really love. Um, It originally comes from an Eminem song of all places, and it's kind of dark. It's about a a fan who is like driven insane by his fandom. Um, And it's kind of been co-opted by fan communities online. So if you say you're a stan of Bob Dylan, you're probably a young person who loves him so much that you might, you know, try to find his house on the internet. (laughs) And you're proud of that. And it's this beautiful community of like-minded people.
2: But this business of horny teenagers asking Bob (laughs) Dylan for nudes, is there... Is there actually a trend line here that I've missed?
0: (laughs) It has (laughs) happened. Um, uh, It was especially prevalent a couple of months ago. If you look underneath Bob Dylan's tweets that are just like, check out my whiskey, there will be people (laughs) saying, oh, grandpa, I love you so much. Oh, daddy, um, send nudes. Uh, It's just like a funny way of communicating because we all know that he's not actually listening. Um, But to talk more on that about how different age groups might communicate that way. It happens on other corners of the internet too. Like I'm especially interested in YouTube comments, which is filled with older people who are typing out comments like, Bob, you're such a, you're such a funny guy. Um, it's so great when you played this song in 1978. And it's like, they're talking to him genuinely. Like they think that Bob might be trolling the comments section. Um, Because he he does foster that kind of personal connection with people.
2: So people are expressing a kind of fantasy. Like there are probably people out there who actually really do believe that Bob Dylan is reading, whether it's because they're Mm -hmm. slightly less attuned to how technology and human (laughs) beings work, but also because they might be in that sort of funny fandom place of a crazy Mm -hmm. kind of obsession. Mm -hmm. What's really happening when people are... Talking to Dylan, or even getting really personal and saying, Show me yourself, Bob, right Mm. now.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because I was thinking about this in a sort of like how fame is newly manifesting in online communities. It is creating micro celebrities, micro celebrity culture where stars from YouTube, from TikTok, they have a very strong, passionate fan base. um, And then they share what it feels like being famous. And so it's creating these like connections where people are over relating to people who are famous because they're like, I know what it's like. My friend on the internet told me about it, even though it's like this parasocial relationship that is existing, that I think is very specific to now um, in the internet.
2: And and do you think it's very specific to now because of a new kind of experience about what being social means, what it means to be communicating with other human beings because of the technology, because of COVID-19 mm. and quarantine, or is there something that you see as a trend line that actually is a progression that was already sort of built in
0: mm. to the
2: music, specifically Dylan?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Right now, we are completely finding new ways of communicating. I have a whole circle of friends of Bob Dylan fans that I've met exclusively online. Um, But I think that the ways that fame, as we see it now, started is back in the 60s when Dylan started it. Because, okay, I have a crazy analogy that I'm going to try to make here that I've always thought is true. Bob Dylan is the Lady Gaga of the 60s. And I will elaborate. She is someone who goes through different album cycle eras. And she did that very expertly in the beginning of her career. Um, She started out with Just Dance, which is like classic song of the era, 2008 or whatever it came out. Then she comes out with Paparazzi, a critique of fame and what it does to people. And um, towing the line between f- like famous and fan. And then she does bad romance, which is completely like a new thing. She's established that she can cover it and she's moving on to so that show that she's something greater than that. Um, and that is what Bob Dylan did when he went electric because the thing about going electric isn't really like just about the sound. It's about uh, creating a new image that people can no longer, relate to you with. It's creating a new type of fame that I think he established unintentionally or not when he did that. And uh, he forged a path because after that, the Beatles started going through album cycles. It became a trend of musicians to be able to break out of the mold that the press put them in. Um, So that idea of like being relatable to someone uh, is all curated now. It's all curated people's Images, artists' images are curated in that way to attract a certain fan base. Um, And so you can't, I mean, people say it all the time, Dylan's an enigma. You can't actually relate to him because he established this wall of here's who I am, but you don't actually know who I am.
3: Mm.
2: So, um, and for anyone who's wondering what the sounds in the background are, I'm, I'm in Jerusalem, you're somewhere. You're you're somewhere else. You're not here, yeah. and the cars are driving by. I'm in the center of town, and that's just the sound of horns honking in Jerusalem—a holy sound. Um, so, to your point, right? Mm-hmm. I thought of, I'm thinking of Ray Charles, right? Who mm-hmm. kind of revolutionized some of this g- genre bending by mm-hmm. doing a country and western album in the early '60s, which right. the record company didn't want to put out. And so, it's interesting, like from musical perspective, that was right around the time that Dylan came out, literally, Mm -hmm. right? It was 1962, I think, was that album. And then uh, we've got David Bowie, right? Mm -hmm. Who is sort of also defined by the ever-changing characters that he plays through. Lou Reed, a little bit Mm
0: -hmm. of that.
2: But um, you would be saying then that the pop culture template Mm -hmm. of being an individual who can be whoever he or she wishes to be is... Uh, A Dylan. That's that's part of what we mean when we say Mm Dylan-esque.
0: Exactly. And I feel that um, he didn't know that he was doing that when it first happened. And you can see that in. No Direction Home when he, you know, is getting booed at events. He didn't want that to happen. Um, And you can see it when he plays the Newport Folk Festival, when he leaves the stage and he comes back out and starts playing folk music again because he wants to appease the crowd that's in front of him. And something that I think is overlooked is the fact that you can see like there's sweat or tears like running down his face in that footage. Um, So it's something that he had to forge for himself and someone at that level had to create for other artists to sort of occupy the same kind of space.
2: I I had a conversation on an earlier episode with Richard Thomas, who wrote uh, Why Dylan Matters, who Mm -hmm. um, he's a he's a scholar of the classics and. We were talking about about dylan and and the concept of dylan as a genius and he said you know a genius does not become a genius at the age of of 20 when they put on a funny hat and uh, put a harmonica around their neck they're a genius at nine they're a genius at three they're a genius i hope i'm not misquoting you richard if you sort of dig into the songs uh archival footage what he says about himself what he doesn't say about himself what kind of genius is that that is so, could we say, is it about experimentation, is it about restlessness, mm-hmm. is it about discomfort in one's own skin? Mm-hmm. How how, does, how do you like sus what's going on there?
0: I mean, it's hard to say, but yeah, I can't imagine that he would do all that for, to appease anyone, to appease the media. Like it has to be something innate. Um And the one example that I find really fascinating when I first discover it was his cover of The Boxer um, Mm -hmm. when he sings with himself and his two different voices because it's doing that thing of like, here's who I was and here's who I am now. And I am capable. I'm capable of doing both. But here's what I want to be doing right now. And I can, you know, I contain multitudes.
2: I'm going to take the bait. We're going to now we're going to listen to a little bit of that track the boxer yeah and then you while we're listening you're gonna think a little bit more and you're gonna explain even in more detail what's happening here okay okay so we're gonna listen to the boxer here it comes
3: i am just a boy my story seldom told i have squandered my resistance or a pocket full of mumbles such i promise it. all lies and jests. Tell a man hears what he wants to hear And disregards the rest La, 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 la When I left my home and family I was no more than a boy In the company of strangers In the quiet of the railroad station Running scared laying low seeking out the poor quarters where the ragged people go looking for the places only they would know
2: let's dig a little deeper this idea of the of the multi-vocal multitudinous uh mm-hmm. dylan what's happening
0: well i think that he is you know expressing what he has been what he can be um but also like he means to sound like that like it's on purpose. It's all intentional. How he's sounding in his raspy lower harmony. Um, and I that totally changed my perspective of who Dylan was and how he could sing. Um, and how the way he normally sings is totally how he means to be delivering it. Um, and he's showing this dichotomy of I can do both. I can, I can uh, you know, be a, a crooner or I can be a folk singer, but it's going to be on my own terms.
2: Is there something about this, this restlessness of not being defined by anyone? I mean, Mm -hmm. to the extent that he's almost not even being defined by his own self, right? Right. Mm -hmm. By any other entity. Does that explain some of the appeal to people who are in that disembodied space of, of the internet and no one even sees them? Who could define just a person who's, you know, on a keyboard somewhere?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, on the internet, it's you can be literally anyone you want to be. That's why there's so many people in these online communities that are queer, that are somehow marginalized in their real life. Um, they can relate to choosing how you want to present yourself, choosing to follow your own truth. And finding solace in these communities in a way that you can't in real life because, you know, if you live in Kansas and you're 16 and you go to a conservative church, you might not find, you know, another gay person anywhere. But online, you can find all these people in this community. And when you listen to Dylan being whoever he wants to be in that moment, you don't feel stifled by the possibilities of what the world has. You feel liberated in a way
2: so talk a little bit about about dylan and and the the queer themes and Mm -hmm. where where does he fit into sort of the arc of identity and comfort or vessel for people who experience being queer yeah and to do so in a 60s rock star dude who Mm -hmm. is almost 81 years old
0: yeah um, yeah, I mean, it starts in the 60s when he's singing protest music like that as a baseline. We know that he's a good guy. We know that he has good intentions, even if he was just like using that persona. Um, but yeah, there is conversations happening now because of these online communities, more female critics, more queer critics are able to express what they find relatable in Dylan. Um, and I think in his lyrics... It comes out a lot the idea of disguise, the idea of dressing in drag. He he comes up with that at least three times specifically about drag, um, which like signals to people who uh, relate to Dylan who find Dylan interesting that he could exist in their world, that he knows about the world of drag, about the world of queerness, about a guy in a powdered blue wig, like he could exist in their world, even though, you know, he's never said, I'm queer, I'm gay. But he he is someone who could be relatable to them.
2: And how do you square that with, he's still writing as what would be broadly defined as like a man writing about women. Mm-hmm. And not all of the stories are pleasant, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, there there have been recent allegations, which I I have not been tracking what's been happening, but, you know, rock stars, male rock stars have not been known for um, admirable behavior when it comes to sexuality. And yet you're saying that there's a side of Dylan that actually appeals to some of the most vulnerable people.
0: Yeah. um, Well, it's all a testament to his the literature of his lyrics that they're so profoundly good and they are standing the test of time and the different cultural changes, different generational things, and his identity that he has forged that is, you don't really know who I am. Um, And it doesn't really matter um, because, you know, he talks about I'm just a vessel for the songs. Like I, I don't matter at all in this equation. I might present something to you to make it a little more interesting, but it doesn't really like, he doesn't care about that sort of stuff. And I think that's what we don't care about. I mean, we all know that he has cheated on his wife. He has cheated in multiple relationships. Like at least that much we are absolutely certain of. Um, And I think to the communities that I know, like, okay, like it doesn't really matter to us. We can project whatever we want onto him because he has made himself like an enigma, a a blank canvas that he could be anything. Um, And it is really a valid discussion about him being a straight that we know of white man from the sixties. And he is praised so much more about than more than other people who we know haven't done anything bad. Um, And if there were some, like, really bad, really true allegations, that would definitely tarnish those communities. That would be really harmful to the people that trust him and look up to him, stand him in that way. Um, but if there were some proven evidence of him having some kind of misconduct, uh, I think there would be a reckoning in these online communities that, like, just are always spouting how much they love him. Um, but it it always is just about the music and about the songs. And that's what I think it will stand to be until the end of time. I mean, he is the best songwriter that's ever lived. Uh, and and who he is doesn't take away from that.
2: So I'm going to reintroduce you. We, I, mm-hmm. we're all talking to Rebecca Slayman.
0: Hi. We're talking hi, about,
2: um, yeah, uh, you can hear them saying hi yes. back, I'm sure. Yep. There we go. Um, so, um, and I want to ask you about the music of the music. It does not sound like pop music. Okay. Mm -hmm. At all. And I don't know what people are listening to in the, you know, in Stanland, Right. (laughs) But, um, but how do people get along with the fact that he's, you know, at this stage of his musical career, if you're listening to current recordings, you're going to get a lot of Frank Sinatra style, wonderful Mm -hmm. phrasing. I mean, But you got to have some patience or you really got to love Dylan because it is challenging music to listen to. Mm -hmm. And the most recent uh, album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, it's all good old fashioned instruments. There's no funny business going on. There's no auto tuning. Mm -hmm. How do people whose musical tastes, uh, habits connect with the music side? Mm -hmm. The lyric side, I I get, but what about the music? It's for listening to, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I think it is a matter of timing right now. I've done some rudimentary research into how generations are finding, connecting with Dylan. And overwhelmingly, it's people find him when they're teenagers and listen to the early albums. And right now is the best time to be able to do that because you have the entire catalog entirely accessible to you. Um, And you might, you know, watch a, a clip of him in a history class. He is someone that isn't the parents' generation. It's like the grandparents' generation of current teenagers and beyond. So it's not someone who's being forced upon you. It's someone, if you like sort of vintage aesthetics that are coming back into fashion, uh, might stumble into Bob Dylan. He is currently the young him is the um, epitome of male standards of beauty right now for teenagers. <laughs> he is a Timothy Chalamet type um, of person. And so definitely, I think the early stuff still is the entry point. And then, you know, teenagers are very passionate. Young people are very passionate. You're going to stick with them if you're loyal to, what you first discover. Um, and it's usually like either an older person introducing him to you or it's the internet. You can stumble into anything these days. So it's a good thing it's Dylan and not (laughs) worse things.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You could, you could certainly do worse, but the, 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 but the acoustic guitar and the strumming kind of pre hippie hoot nanny. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't just feel like so old. and You're saying that it's, it's, it's so old that it's retro and it's like, That's... it becomes cool again because mm-hmm. it was not cool for a long time. Right. Yeah. That was, that was not cool. Is it back? Is that what you're I saying? Think so.
0: I think that folk music is having a bit of a moment. I mean, Taylor Swift just had two albums last year that are entirely folk inspired. Um, so that adds to it. Um, also like, the feeling of it is kind of really satisfyingly connecting us to the past in a way that might be comforting right now because we're in a very tumultuous time politically. It makes sense that that style of music would make a comeback because we're thinking of, okay, things are really bad now, but they felt really bad in the 60s, too, apparently. This might be useful to learn about. This might useful, be useful to relate to. Um so I think, yeah, it's it's vintage, it's retro, and it it sounds good.
2: I want to go back to something you said or hinted at, and then when mm-hmm. we were corresponding just before we got together in this uh, conversation, um, I'm just gonna say three words, sure. and you know, hopefully, you'll respond. Okay. Because um, you, I'm saying the words that you wrote in quotes, <laughs> right? Okay. Dylan is hot.
0: <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> this is important. Um, This is something that Anne Margaret Daniel uh, wrote about in uh, her review of the Cutting Edge albums that I really loved because most of the writing, at least on an academic level or current level, is written by men who are viewing him through a certain lens of masculinity or just really about, like, the masculine image. And she is talking about, you know probably half the population finds him hot. Young him is hot. That's what a lot of people, at least in my group chats on Twitter are saying all the time. And like I said, he is the current standard of beauty. He should um, be acknowledged for that. Like he is kind of getting by on his, on his looks.
2: (laughs) The eyes as blue as Robin's eggs, right? Yeah, exactly. uh, Stated by one of his first and most famous, uh, (laughs) patrons and lovers um (laughs) okay so so I want us to listen if with your permission I'd like to listen to a little bit from uh um the recording of it's all over now baby blue Mm -hmm. appropriate you know blue eyes and I think this is one of your go-to songs I mean in terms of your writing about Dylan you might really love the song too you'll tell us so we're gonna have we're gonna have a listen
3: will last But whatever you wish to keep you'd better grab it fast
4: He understands you're orphan with his gun Crying like a fire in the sun
3: The saints are coming through,
4: and it's
0: all over now, baby blue. I love this song. I really do. I, what do you love
2: about it? What do you love about this song?
0: <sighs> it's a beautiful love song. It's um, it's so poetic. I mean, it it goes through a whole like visual journey, and it's also incredibly sad. Um, and it represents this softness. I think that's part of the early Dylan. Uh, that's very important to finding him relatable. It's, it's this emotionality. It's, um, sort of when he's hitting those higher notes, he's like sort of crying out, uh, to the, the subject of the song. I, I just think it's absolutely beautiful and what it represents when he plays it in the hotel room in No Direction Home. I don't know if that's the cut footage or not, but uh he plays it there. It's it's very soft and and comforting when he plays it on stage. It's this moment of deep uh emotion and vulnerability that is important to his image. Like that's like a reason that people love him so much is he is able to relate to this very emotional side um, in his music.
2: He is also the Rebecca, as you know, one of the great all time jerks when it comes to um, public persona, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. That's why it's this crazy, like divide between what we see. We know he must feel by the way he writes about it, Um, but he certainly doesn't act like it. And it's, it's hilarious i don't i don't get it
2: so 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 we've got vulnerability on the one hand i want to hear dylan the jerk too because i don't think we do justice Mm -hmm. so um you suggested that we listen to a little bit from the infamous famous san francisco press conference which really is as good as any um i don't know period film as you could get and from the same year if i'm not mistaken is the performance that we listened to uh, of it's all over now, baby blue. So, mm-hmm. um, so we're all going to enjoy a little bit of the Bob Dylan road show I want you to think about how you relate this to the vulnerability piece. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit about the invention of the rock star persona. I'm sure there's a lot of things you want to say about this one. So we'll listen.
1: Welcome to the first KQED Poets Conference. The press conference. Mr. Dylan is a poet. He will answer questions about everything from atomic science to uh,
2: uh, riddles and Rhymes. Go! <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: Who's
3: first?
1: Come on. I'd like to know about the
3: cover of your... of your forthcoming, your... your uh, uh, album. <laughs> the... Uh, the one with the blues in it. I'd like to know about the... the meaning of the photograph with you in the Wearing a Triumph t-shirt.
4: What did you want to know about it?
3: Well, I'd like to know that that's an equivalent photograph. It means something. It's got a philosophy <laughs> in it. And I'd like to know... <laughs>
0: uh, I'd like to know visually what it represents to you, because you're
4: a part of that building. Um... I haven't really looked at it that much. I don't really even, I've thought about it a great deal. I, it was just taken one day when I was sitting on the steps, you know. I, I don't, uh... I don't really remember any very too much about it.
3: Well, what about the motorcycle as an image in your, in your songwriting? You seem to like that.
4: Oh, we all like motorcycles to some degree.
1: I do. Do you think of yourself primarily as a singer or as a poet?
4: Oh, I think of myself more as a song and dance man, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: song and dance man? I don't think we have enough time to really waste that.
3: You're quoted in the Chicago
4: Daily News as saying that uh, when you're really wasted, you may enter into another field. How wasted is really wasted, and do you foresee it? No, I don't foresee it, but it's more or less like a ruthless type of feeling. ruthless and uh, intoxicated to some degree
1: Uh, the criticism that you've received for more or less leaving folk music for folk rock uh, hasn't seemed to bother you very much do you think you'll stick with folk rock or are you going on
2: into more writing
4: uh, I don't play folk rock what would you call your music I call it, I like to think of it more in terms of vision music. It's uh, mathematical music. (coughs) Would you say that the words were more important than the music? Uh, The words are just as important as the music. There would be no music without the words.
1: Which do you do first ordinarily?
4: Uh, the words.
0: Do you think there will ever be a time when you will paint or sculpt?
4: Oh, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: oh,
4: sure. Do you think there will ever be a time when you be hung as a thief? <laughs> oh, <yes.
0: laughs> you weren't supposed to say that. <laughs> we have a match. So much to say about this. I'm so glad you brought this in cuz I almost okay. forgot. <laughs> and I want to
2: and here's Bob Dylan smoking Bob cigarettes Dillon. and telling us what's happening. What what is happening, Rebecca, help?
0: Well, what's happening is we are witnessing I guess what it was like being a press person in the in 1965, which is totally different than the press conferences as we see it now. I mean, you you talk about how Bob is, you know, he's very snarky. He has sort of smart ass answers to questions. Um, but truly, when you look at it and compare it to today, these journalists have like no idea what they're <laughs> yeah. talking about. They are ill they don't have any questions ready one is like why do you think you're famous like you piece of shit <laughs> like right. and dylan's like right. i don't know like he's honestly being very gracious in the face of this these kinds of questions um and he's not being exactly as rude as he tries to be in don't look back for example when he knows he's trying to like create a bad boy narrative um he's answering questions Sometimes honestly, sometimes with a bit of humor, um, but truly, like, you can see the difference in fame from then to now, never more starkly than in those journalists, how they don't have to, like, pretend to be nice. Like, you look at a red carpet these days, and it's like, they are towing the line of, like, we don't want to upset the, the talent at all. We have to be very respectful. They're like, you're a stupid kid in in this footage. <laughs>
2: this has been episode four of season two of bob dylan about man and god and law bob dylan in stansville with rebecca slayman stay tuned for part two in just two weeks you can check out all of our podcasts subscribe and follow wherever podcasts are found and visit www.mangodlaw.com for an excerpt from my forthcoming book about man and god and law spiritual wisdom of bob dylan show notes playlists events and more we are proud to be part of the pantheon podcast network check out our brand new channel at apple podcasts for the whole rocking music pod family all in one place Thank you to the great Rebecca Slayman for joining us. She'll be back next time, and we hope you will be too. I'm your host, Stephen Daniel Arnoff. Thanks for coming, and see you soon.